Dennis Sarfate making his first appearance. What will you do to defend the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Welcome to the Green Dragon Tavern, where we talk a little treason. I'm Zach Lautenschlager. And I'm Dennis Sarfate. Howdy, all. Last week in Michigan, we saw another mass shooting, and right away the pundits of the media are calling for more gun control, and they thought they had everyone on, Zach, but uh, the one main person who spoke out against us is former NFL player Marcellus Wiley, and Marcellus Wiley has actually, um, he's been a huge Second Amendment supporter, even while he was still in his playing days. He was probably not a very popular player among the uh, the left, but he's very vocal in what he believes. And he came out recently and said, we've got to stop blaming the gun and start looking at the person using the gun. He said, if you put a gun on a table and no one touches it, it doesn't kill anyone. Um, why are we seeing every time some kind of tragedy happens, people go right for rights? They want to come for your rights to bear arms. They want to come to the majority of citizens across this country who respect the law, understand the law, and aren't committing these crimes, where are we at as a country when it comes to these laws? Well, unfortunately, we have, it's, uh, last I checked, it's 20,000 gun laws federally, um, which are clearly unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the sheer number is, can be mind-boggling. Um, and unfortunately, the gun control proponents have discovered that every time there's a mass shooting, they get props for just racing in as quickly as possible and exploiting the pain and suffering of the victims. And unfortunately, that's exactly what it is. There is no world in which the uh, measures that they are proposing in any way have a positive effect on the outcome of either shooting, the number of shootings uh, perpetrated or in stopping shootings after they start. Mm -hmm. The availability of firearms um, as a cause for violence is a myth, short and sweet, and there just mm-hmm. there simply is not evidence for their point. It it is it is embarrassing the speed at which these vultures rush in. They are often commenting before the victims get to the hospital. Mm-hmm. It is often that fast. It's it's terrible. Do you see Unbelievable. it? Do you see it in, in like with when you see like a, a caption on an article or the news comes on another sh- another mass shooting? Um, right away, people you get an, an instant emotion, right? You hear a school shooting emotionally. You're like, man, we got to get rid of all guns. That's the language they're using purposely on, on, on these things because they know that it's a heartstring argument. They're going to say something that is going to catch you and you're going to be all in. Um, we saw in this, a couple articles that we, we skimmed through where they're calling humans, children at 24 years of age, right? They're lumping in these big groups into these age brackets. And it's like, wait a second. I know most gang related shootings. You're probably looking at 18 to 24 year old, um, male. Um, why are we lumping in the zero to five, the five to 10 year olds? When we're talking about shootings, uh, I'm not seeing the numbers, even the graphs that I was looking at are not showing the numbers that are, or, or, you know, they're not supporting what they're saying live, to everyone else. The difference in numbers between the two sides of the gun control debate is one of the unique uh, markers of this entire battle. It's not that uh, there aren't two sides to debates and different sets of numbers for different sides in any other debate, but the disparity between the two sides is, uh, from my perspective, unusual. It's something that people find confusing, and unfortunately, it it lends itself to a lot of um, talking past one another, a lot of shouting and arguing. Um, Now, as a political operative, I don't believe in trying to have reasonable discussions with unreasonable people. I don't think that that's a successful tactic. Mm -hmm. The people who are proposing these numbers are not reasonable. They have an agenda, and they don't care. They've already made up their minds. I do believe in having discussions with people who are trying to figure all of this out and just trying to look at the numbers and say, what's going on? And so when you're looking at gun control numbers, there's one thing you have to remember. These people have a political agenda and Mm -hmm. they are cooking their books. Yep. 
they are intentionally fiddling with things that they don't have to put at the at the forefront of their reports in order to carefully structure the things that do go on the cover page. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that uh, the gun control activists, the anti-gunners have found is very effective is uh, putting up front the number of children who are killed by firearms each year. And they often put forward appalling numbers, numbers that just don't seem possible. And then they have reams and reams of data to demonstrate, well, this many in this place and this many in this place, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. This goes so far as even the pediatrics journal uh, participates in this kind of sensationalism. And why do we call it sensationalism? Well, you mentioned it earlier. They are cutting off their definition of child on the top end mm-hmm. at 24. Yeah. Where else do we call someone who is 24 years of age an adult? I mean, excuse me, a child and nowhere. not an adult. Yeah, nowhere. Where? There, I can't find another place where it's rational and reasonable to include a 24-year-old as a child, a 23, 22, 21. Mm-hmm. These are not children. And so if you look at where are the, where, where's the balloon in the data, it comes with these adults that are being included in children, as children. Mm-hmm. And so they can report, oh, look at all the children harmed by guns in the U.S. and compare that to other countries where they're rationally uh, <laughs> cutting off at least at 18 and say, oh, look, look at all the, look at all the child deaths in the U.S. We have a, we have a gun problem in the U.S. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's laughable. It is laughable. laughable. It is laughable. And you know they're using the, they're using certain words, uh, mass shootings. Um, there was a, a shooting recently in Arkansas at a car show, and uh, the sheriff right away got up on on the podium. He said, "This is not a mass shooting. What we had was a, a, a one individual shooting at another individual, and that person retu- returning fire. So that's that's a shootout, right? That's." <laughs> That's me versus right. you. Where have and now because of you know they're not accurate with their aim and bullets go stray and and they hit other things and they hit other people and that's that's a horrible thing. But to just because some people got injured, it wasn't like this guy showed up at this car show and opened fire on everyone because he's nuts or insane. It was an, a beef he had with the other person and it ended up in a firearm exchange and people got hurt. One died. That's horrible, but to call it a mass shooting, that's that's not like what we saw in like let's say in Las Vegas, right? When the guy stood up in the tower in the window and started to pick off people left and right. That's a mass shooting. Like he had one goal in his mind, um, and and that's probably another set of circumstances and what happened in that situation. But the language they use, they are trying to entice you to get into this fight. Um, you know, we see it in the abortion in the abortion argument, right? What do they say? They don't say, "Oh, we want to let women kill their babies." They say reproductive rights, right? They change right. they change the language, and it's like uh, it's like they're fishing. They're using like these words, these catchphrases to fish for people to get on their side, and it's it's evil. It's evil because it's not tr- it's not truthful. In political fights, it's actually a carefully taught and and uh, a branch of study on how to conduct political fights. Mm-hmm. Naming a naming an issue, naming your fight, naming your opponent's fight, in a way that is the most appealing, and also in a way that that garners attention from not only the public but also from the media. That's why. For example, calling the uh, gun control march on D.C. the Million Mom March. Of course, they were they were playing off of the Million Man March from the Civil Rights, um, but that's a great name because you could have 10,000 moms show up. You could have 2,000 moms show up in mm-hmm. D.C. And what is it? It's the Million Mom March. Perfect example. Um, the assault weapons ban is another tremendous example of a good political name. Now, it's evil in the sense that it is mis- it is misrepresenting the facts, mm-hmm. um, but it is, it is it is a positive for their side, and it is very skillful. Yeah, let's let's That's something. Yeah, that look you at can the other, again and again. Look at the other one, the the assault weapon, right? The word assault automatically gives someone a negative connotation, right? Um, right. They've actually used language in military grade firearms, 
right? Military grade, like there's no <laughs> normal human, there's no normal citizen walking around with military grade weapons. Well, it's illegal. Weapon. Yes, it's illegal. That's, that's the point. That's laughable. Unfortunately, now my perspective, an American citizen should have that's a right. quote unquote military grade weapon in his closet. That's right. This is, this is how Switzerland works. Switzerland based their, uh, some of their governmental structures, especially their constitution after ours, we based our concept of civil and national defense and self-defense off of the Swiss tradition. Um, and the reality is the availability of military-grade firearms has nothing to do, it has no causative effect on uh, the number of mass shootings. You can't go to Switzerland and say, look, they have more guns than us, they have more, they have more powerful firearms than us, everybody's issued one, they've got them in their closets, and look at all the mass shootings. Well, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Have they had a mass shooting? Sure. Yes. All right. Does it compare to ours? Nope. So ultimately to claim, oh, I'm not sure what that was, but it got me. Ultimately to claim that um, the limiting the availability of a tool will somehow, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, will cure a problem inside the human heart and psyche. Mm-hmm is faulty. This is where it's coming. This is the problem that we face. And it happens again and again. We can talk about it in multiple political fights. Rather than recognizing that it's a problem, we have a problem in America. We have a problem with people who are in distress, who are mentally unhealthy, Mm -hmm. and who are, from a Christian perspective, um, eaten up by a sinful perspective, who then turn to some kind of mass killing in order to uh, cope. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what we see. You can go to countries like Switzerland where, that are awash in firearms that do not have this problem. And so it's laughable to say that, well, we're going to limit firearms instead of saying, why don't we deal with the heart problem here? Why aren't we willing to admit that uh, it is possible for human beings to do bad things? Yeah, there's a it mental health. It's a mental health issue, right? Correct. Um, we we have we don't want to admit that we have a very telling thing. I saw an article the other day. There was a a mom who was drugged because she was postpartum depression. She was drugged with pharmaceuticals because they were like, "Oh, we'll just give you this." And she kept calling back. That the husband kept calling the office, telling them, "Hey, listen, my wife's not normal. These meds are are messing her up." Well, he left one day. She ends up killing her children. I saw right? that. So I saw that. It's, tragic. It's it's tragic, and it, and every one of these shootings is tragic. But there's a mental health issue. It's not uh, controlling semi-automatic weapons. Everyone hears semi-automatic and see a, another way with language. Semi-automatic. They're like, oh man, they must just shoot thirty-five hundred rounds in minutes. No, right. it's every one side Very side every one side piece. The, their revolvers are semi-automatic. You pull the trigger, right. a bullet comes out. You pull it again, <laughs> another bullet comes out. Um, I I see this as every time there is a shooting or a mass shooting, it's like blood in the water for a shark, right? They 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 see it and they're like, jump on it. Let's go. Let's get it going. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about banning everything from guns to semi-automatic to military-grade weapons. But now in New York and in California, what have they taken away? Body armor. There's yep. body armor bans. What? Right. Well, and here's something that's a that's a it is a defensive tool. It cannot harm a single yeah. person. It doesn't now even have a bullet th- in it. <laughs> they make the argument that, of course, if you're wearing if you're wearing armor, you can potentially kill more people. Well, that's true. You can do it if you're driving a car too. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in uh, France, when uh, you see uh, well, the recent mass killing, it was uh, I believe the summer of 21. A, I'd have to look for to for sure, but in the last couple of years, you had someone drive a truck into a crowd. I think mm-hmm. it was a sporting event and ran over uh, scores of people. Yep. So I think we saw it in Wisconsin during a parade. Right. Yep. And the same thing there. So uh, how will banning firearms uh, keep us safe? It won't. The problem is it's it's the same problem we've discussed multiple times once you have someone with a political agenda, and whether they are well-meaning or not, there certainly are some people who are well-meaning uh, with their political agendas. There certainly are well-meaning people who support banning guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a complete and total ignorance of the value 
that they are also eradicating. It's the same thing with forced vaccines. It's the same thing with um, environmentalism. We don't count the cost. We don't stop mm -hmm. to say how many lives will be lost if the common citizen can't wear something that resists bullets, if, if, if that is bullet resistant. Yeah. You know, at, in, at the Uvalde shooting, the gentleman who was getting a haircut, he was an off-duty law enforcement mm -hmm. officer, um, his wife calls him. She's a teacher at the school, and she says, there's a shooting. I, I don't know if we're going to survive. I love you. He jumps out of the uh, barber's chair, asks his barber to borrow his shotgun, mm -hmm. runs down to the school, and goes in and gets his wife out. Now, he wasn't able to go and find the shooter um, because he said, number one, I didn't have my vest, and mm -hmm. number two, a shotgun is a poor defense. He knew very well that if you get in a long hallway with a scatter gun, uh, facing down someone with potentially with an AR-15, mm -hmm. and you're not wearing your vest, that is a that is a dangerous situation. Um, and I think that's what he's referring to. And so we have to ask ourselves: in a situation where you have an active shooter, why on earth would we want to tell the people who are being shot at it would be illegal for you to wear mm -hmm. a bullet-resistant vest? It's insane. It is but insane. But New York, New York has already passed it. It was low-hanging fruit. And this is the evidence, the political agenda. In New York State, uh, they rushed after the Buffalo shooting to pass uh, a, an armor ban because in that particular shooting, and it is true, um, the shooter wore uh, some type of body armor and was actually struck at least once by a security guard and was able to continue after he was uh, fired upon. Now, it's interesting that that, that in itself kept the shooter from continuing to shoot innocent people, it made him focus his attention on people who are supposed to be defending others. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I am saying that if you're going to propose a solution, it should work. Mm -hmm. And gun control clearly doesn't. Body armor control is even worse. And so New York's legislature rushed to pass a body armor ban that failed to ban the type of armor the shooter was wearing. Well, sure. And let's look at, let's look at legislation. They had to go back later and fix it. Yeah. Let's look at legislation that actually hurts people, gun laws that will actually hurt people. Let's just take women, for instance, right? My wife oh, has yeah. a gun. She carries uh, a gun is a woman's equalizer uh, to a man, no matter what, That's right. no matter what the size of the man, a woman needs a gun to defend herself from a perpetrator being a male. You're literally, I, I have always said this. How come the feminists don't come out? when there's laws coming after uh, semi-automatic guns, which are handguns and, and pistols, ones that my wife carries and other women I know yep. carry, that's their equalizer. How about if you take guns away from all law-abiding citizens and in those cities are the thieves and the, and the crooked people, are they turning in their guns too? Are they not gonna do any more crime or is crime going away? It's, I think that there, people don't understand that the people that are committing crimes aren't going for background checks. They're not getting guns and following the laws that they're supposed to be following. They're going to do whatever it takes. And if you just take away guns from everyone, you catch every gun, you throw the gun out, you melt it, whatever you want to do to it, there's still a hard issue. What you get, what you got to earlier, there's a hard issue in this country. People will use knives. They'll use hammers, hatchet. I just yesterday here by me about two miles away to Intel, uh, there was a man with a rap sheet as long as a Christmas list, and he killed two people, one of them with the hatchet. So yep. do we ban hatchets now? So all, you know, we got to get rid of axes. If you live up in the mountains and you can't chop wood because, well, those are illegal because you could use it on someone else. Um, it's laughable. It really is. The laws that they come out with, one of the biggest ones that stands out to me is the red flag law. You're literally, you're, you're infringing on a person's right to due process. And not even the fact that, but you're opening up a, a, hole, a, a hole the size of the Grand Canyon when it comes to political agenda. Hey, my neighbor is a Republican. Uh, he has an American flag hanging up. And I think he's crazy. So I want you to take his guns. He wore guns. a MAGA hat. He wore a MAGA hat. He's, he, you know, he, he, he supports the insurrection on January 6th. You and can, it goes the other way, too. That it guy does. has a Biden sticker. That's right. He's clearly mentally deranged. That's right. You don't think that's going to happen when you open this up and, and, and not even open it up. It's in 19 states already. Correct. 
And so, and unfortunately, in Florida, thousands of people every year have their rights stripped from them. You can't tell me that there are two to three thousand people a year in the state of Florida who are on the verge of committing a mass shooting, mm-hmm. who are on the verge of harming themselves uh, with a firearm. Um, now, in situations where someone actually is a danger to themselves and to others, and that's the laughable thing about red flag laws, they claim we need this tool in order to keep mentally unsound people from har- being harm to th- harmful to themselves and to others. Mm-hmm. Guess what? We already have laws in all 50 states that are justly passed and um, exercise due process in order to deprive people who actually are a danger to themselves or to others of firearms. And that is that is a just use of uh, civil authority. Mm-hmm. If you can demonstrate uh, using due process that this person is dangerous, then f- at least for a period of time, they yield their right to a, to a deadly weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, what red flag is about? It's not about regulate. It's not about keeping guns out of the hands of crazy people. It's about not having to use due process to That's keep guns away from someone, whether crazy or not. Hundred percent. That's what it's about. You mentioned earlier um, what people will do, uh, how you know how they will, how someone who is bent on mass murder can do so without firearms. And of course, the left responds. The gun control advocates respond right away. Oh, but they'll it'll be less. The mm-hmm. fewer people will die if the bad guys don't have guns. Well, there's two problems, right? First of all, how are you going to keep them from having guns? How are you how are you going to do it? You think that passing a law fixes the problem? Mm-hmm. Well, and they'll say, well, of course, we're just giving law enforcement tools. Great. Now we're admitting the reality is that you have to enforce that law. How is it working in other countries? Well, mm-hmm. frankly, it's not. It's not working. But there's a whole other problem. Let's say we suddenly live in a fairy tale world where passing a law actually changes what's available on the street. Great. Let's go to other countries where it's been illegal long enough where guns are less available. Not, not, not. The, the the Yakuza in Japan still has guns. Sure. They still have fully automatic weapons. Yep. They don't have any problem with that, even though it's highly illegal. And yet when someone wanted in, in um, I believe it's this is 2019, um, as far as, this was a uh, mass murder of 33 people in Japan. A studio was burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an intentional effort to kill, and 33 people died. Yep. No firearm used. He locked the door Mexican, from the outside. Yep. In Mexico, same thing. Arson, 28 people murdered. China, knife attack, eight people murdered. California, stabbing spree, four people. Um, let's talk about 2,996 people murdered with utility knives in airplanes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that was in the U.S., September 11, 2001, using one of the uh, best executed gun-free zone uh, laws in the world. Yeah. Um, certainly in the U.S., the sterile zone. Now, I know some of that was, it took place after 9-11, but firearms have been illegal on planes for a long time. It's hard to get them on board. And so what happened? Well, we didn't, <laughs> didn't use guns to take over the planes. We just used knives. Um, up to 500 murdered, murdered with machetes in Nigeria, 168 killed with fertilizer and a truck. Oh, yeah, that was Oklahoma City. 87 killed with machete, matches and gasoline in the Bronx. 86 run over and murdered by a truck. That was the Nietzsche killing in France that I referenced earlier. And 50 killed in a coal mine knife attack in China. Those are all perpetrated without firearms. It's laughable to claim that if we ban guns and could actually do it, which you can't, but let's say they actually could, doesn't change a thing. People still die at the same rate. And the problem is now law-abiding people, who are the only ones who actually will get rid of their firearms when they're banned, are more vulnerable, just as you pointed out. women with firearms um, now have the ability to defend themselves in a way that women have not in centuries past. Mm -hmm. That's the plain reality. And it is, it is horrific when we see, um, as you pointed out, feminists who are leading the charge. They are on the vanguard of banning guns and stripping uh, their fellow women of the ability to defend themselves. It is outrageous. Even even when you look at what you just mentioned, all those different uh, instances that are that are awful and they're terrible, if there was some law-abiding citizen carrying a gun in those knife attacks, I, w- I was there in Japan once where the guy went to a bus stop and started you know stabbing children and and their parents. If there would have been one law-abiding gun holder walking by, he stops that instantly. 
right? right. All of these things, uh, you know, Arizona is always a great one because you, you don't see a whole lot of nonsense with traffic and, and gun violence that way. Cause every, you don't know who's carrying here, right? Everyone, right. Everyone's got a gun. Um, that's one of my favorite examples of the of uh, left-leaning gun control hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't have favorites, and it's hard to, sometimes hard to function uh, in a world, in this world, I've worked in gun policy for my entire adult life, and I worked in gun policy when I was in high school. Um, for a long time, I knew all the stats, facts, and figures from every mass shooting off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's depressing. It is depressing. Yeah. Um, so when I say my favorite, I'm not talking about the shooting. I'm talking about the hypocrisy. Um, but the 2011 Tucson shooting in which Gabby Giffords was hit. Um, Mm -hmm. now she has taken over. She is the new Sarah Brady, um, and is the face and mouthpiece of the gun control movement because she, thank God, survived that shooting. Mm Mm-hmm and um, had to learn how to walk and speak again because it was a head injury. Um, It it is a story of triumph, but the hypocrisy uh, for her and her husband, and and sometimes I look at that and say, how much are you exploiting a person with a brain injury? Telling them that if you do this, this would never have happened. Here's Here's the irony, the bitter irony of that shooting. It was stopped by a constitutional carry holder. Yep. He ran in and stopped that shooting with his handgun. And you remember that. You lived there at the time, in, in, of course, up in, I, I don't know where you were in, in uh, Arizona in 2011. But it was at a Safeway. Um, the shooter started firing. A nearby citizen heard the shots, ran towards the sound of the shots, and put a stop to it, saving potentially dozens of lives. Yep. Now, unfortunately, Ms. Giverds was hit. She was there on a campaign event, um, campaigning for Congress. Um, and so did it, you know, did it save her? Well, no, she survived and went on then to try to deprive people of the ability to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. She is actively campaigning for more dead people at her shooting. Yeah. That is, that is the appalling truth. And I quail a little bit to just to think about that. That's... How do you get there? How do you sell out so much on logic? Now, that's why I say I'm not sure. I, I, I sometimes do think that, that Ms. Giffords is being exploited. But the people around her, it's despicable. It is. And, you know, now they're going after ghost guns, guys that build guns in their house that, I mean, what, it, it never. It, it's like, what, what, what is going on with our administration? And this is not just Biden. This was Obama. This is almost every president. I, I don't even know. Did Trump, did Trump go after guns? I think he, he passed some gun law at some point or tried to at least. Um, I don't recall, but they're always after the guns, right? They're always after the guns, Let's talk about the heart issue. Let's talk about that you're taking God out of everything from schools to um, every institution around. We are drugging people up, kids, you know, 10 years old. If a boy can't sit through class, oh, he's ADHD. Let's give him some, let's give him some meds. We don't deal with the issues that all of this starts from. This is a heart issue. There's some mental illness for sure in most of the cases, um, I do remember the Gabby Gifford, um, and that guy lost his life saving hers and man, you would think, and he didn't lose his life that day, but you would think that what he did for her would show that, man, if he, if everyone did this and there are a lot of gun, gun owners in Arizona, and there are a lot that follow, if they were all bad, there'd be killings everywhere. I mean, it would just be a disaster. It'd be a, a war zone here, but people understand that this is my God-given right, my constitutional right, and I'm going to defend my family no matter what. And most of the times, like we talked about other countries, how, how are those gun laws going for Venezuela right now, right? Would yeah. you, if you think of the Venezuelan citizens would have looked back and been like, I w- they would have never gave their guns up. I mean, they had their yep. own government shooting them down in the streets, depriving them of food and water. Um, you lose your guns, and I know you know a lot about our founding fathers and our forefathers our guns, the Second Amendment was not a, a protection for self-defense, right? It was 
to go against. It was primarily for tyranny, a government tyranny that you would have to protect yourself and bear arms against your own government. That is obviously the original intent of the Second Amendment. You Mm -hmm. can't look at history and not come away recognizing that our forefathers, having just used firearms to win freedom from a tyrannous government, were concerned about their um, descendants being able to do the same. Mm -hmm. Now, it, it it's you know some people say well the second amendment ain't about duck hunting or you know it's similar it's not about hunting it's about you know stopping a t- tyrannical government it is absolutely true that the primary reason that's why it's called a well regulated militia and regulated meaning provided for and under civil authority that's what that means but then it says the right of the individual to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Mm-hmm. Why does it say the individual? Because the individual needs has several needs for firearms. One of them, uh, in certain settings, and certainly was true at that time, is to put food on the table. And so, in one sense, the Second Amendment was about hunting, because that is one of the legitimate uses of your firearm, which you have a right to own. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, another use is in self-defense, to defend one's home and family, and that's where it starts getting uh, more interesting because, of course, self-defense includes both defense against criminal individual criminal acts and against government criminal acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I agree 100%. The Second Amendment was primarily written to protect the right of the citizens to defend themselves against heinous crimes perpetrated by their government. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is unavoidable. It may be controversial, no one's sitting here saying, well, great, let's go start a war. That's not the point. The point is you have a right to defend yourself. And if you look at the way our founding fathers used the, their firearms, that's where that comes from. Did you know that DuPont uh, actually started in the U.S. by a French immigrant named DuPont started making gunpowder? That's where that, that's where that empire comes from. Huh. Um, and so that reality that people, that our forefathers, they didn't just, um, they weren't just dependent on importation as quickly as possible. They started making their own firearms and making their own gunpowder to shoot in those firearms. If you ever get a chance to go to Colonial Williamsburg, you got to check out the, uh, the rifle, make, rifle maker, the gunsmith. Um, it's, it's the central part of, of American heritage in some ways. That's amazing. You know, and I, and I brought up ghost guns because, you know, some men love to build guns. They love to do it with their son. Um, there are approximately 45,240 reports of suspected privately made firearms recovered by law enforcement. And only 692 of those were used or 2% were found in connection with a homicide or attempted homicide. Just to bring right. that, just to bring that down to earth, there were 1,476 people killed with knives. There were 600 people killed with fists and feet and 397 people killed by hammers and blunt objects. So we have our administration right now are going after, they'd be better served to fight a crime um, that's addressed in, in what I just mentioned in the knives and fists and feet than after these ghost guns. These are, people that are building ghost guns, this is not like in the line of fire where uh, John Malkovich was making a gun with a rabbit's foot bullet and and trying to sneak it through, you know, metal detectors. These are men that are doing it as a hobby. Whether you play golf or you go, you right. know, do whatever, it's a hobby. You build a gun, you go shoot it. They're not cr- criminals. Are not building their own guns to go use them on the street. <laughs> it's just it doesn't happen. Right. Because in reality, you have to buy the lower, right? Where are you getting your lower from? Right. It's, it's registered. There's a serial number on it. Well, you can, yeah, there are different ways to, to create firearms without any serial number whatsoever. Um, and you can, that's the whole question, the 80% lower discussion. Mm-hmm. And the ATF is constantly trying to limit that. But you're absolutely right. There's no question. Why are we not banning knives? Why mm-hmm. are we not banning cars? And now I, I wouldn't, you know, in one sense they are, right? Yeah, they're banning Isn't cars. that what green energy is about? <laughs> yep. Uh, but that's not because cars are dangerous. <laughs> I've Last I checked, an electric car will kill you too if it runs into you at, 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 at normal vehicle, vehicular speed. But they can the stop point, it when they want. Right. The point is control. <laughs> and see, this is, well, that's the whole point. And when you say they can stop it, uh, you know, what does that mean? Well, the government can, can, can people in government limit your ability to move around if you are highly dependent on your energy with your energy source? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so there is, it's laughable 
for the left, those who are leading the gun control movement to say, we care about people? Obviously not. Obviously not. You are cooking your books, ignoring numbers, uh, and shaping the debate towards one end, depriving law-abiding people of the ability to defend themselves. It sounds familiar because I felt like we have been going through this since 2020 with not guns. Doesn't it, though? But, you know, vaccines, uh, a virus. You know, we had numbers coming out and they were throwing ungodly numbers. You know, this many people are dying. And, and then you start to look at the numbers now, three years after the beginning of when that started. I am so glad that I stuck to my guns and never got vaccinated. I didn't get my family vaccinated. Um, but the government is not on your side. Anytime that you think that they're trying to pass laws that are, are for you to help you, I think you really need to dig into them and actually read all of the language in the law itself because a lot of people are getting hurt with these so-called laws that are going to protect and, and help and, you know, Green, green New Deal. Yeah, having a, a government tell you when you can go somewhere, when you can drive, um, how you can drive, how, how, what kind of car you can drive. You're not, you're, there's no liberty there. You're not free. I'm sorry, that's not a free America. Well, Dennis, I think you're absolutely right. There is no question um, that the amount of hypocrisy that we see between uh, the gun control debate and the COVID debate is comparable. Um, I would like to introduce our next guest, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Davis Younts, retired, spent 20 years in the Air Force Judge Advocate General Corps. Um, Davis, it's a pleasure to have you. Congratulations on your successful retirement and on uh, on all of your work with uh, men and women who are being unfortunately abused by our current administration over uh, the COVID military COVID vax mandates. Hey, thank you. It's an, uh, just an honor to be talking to you guys. So tell us about where things stand. You know, we look out and we see that uh, thanks to the NDAA and the congressional action, um, the the vax mandate from a congressional perspective has been, has been ended. Um, but what I'm hearing uh, from you and from others, it's not even close to over for military members who are caught in this abomination. That's absolutely right. And there's different categories of, of folks in the military and who were kicked out of the military over the mandate that still have to be dealt with. So those categories are there. The biggest thing I would say is we have to understand this was forced on the Department of Defense. You'll see some headlines that will say th things like, oh, the you know, Secretary Austin ends the mandate or the Department of Defense has ended the mandate. That's not true. They were forced to by Congress or they wouldn't get funding. And so we have to enter into our discussion of this, unfortunately, with that in mind, because senior leadership in the Department of Defense didn't want this mandate to end. And if they had it their way, the mandate would still be in place. So there's a lot of animosity. We're seeing retribution and retaliation against anyone that took a stand, whether it was for constitutional reasons, straight legal reasons, or on religious grounds, that animosity remains. Davis, I know that we don't really have any hard numbers, but the best we have, how many members, uh, how many servicemen and women did not comply with the VAX mandate? So that's the hard number. And, and I'll tell you how I get to my estimate. So the, the first number that, that is verifiable, at least according to the Department of Defense, is over 12,000 were discharged because of the mandate. The vast majority of those were individuals that submitted a religious accommodation request. So we know over 12,000 across the services were kicked out. There are thousands and thousands of others that retired early, that were not allowed to reenlist, or who simply got out early as this went on. So at the high point of resistance to the, to the mandate, if we look across the services, there was as many as 250,000 that were resisting, that were either reluctant or missed the deadline or otherwise. And so we have a huge delta between that 12,000 number and 250,000, but we're talking 50 or 60,000 probably that were directly affected by this and who are no longer wow. in the military because of this mandate. You know, yeah. that's something that gives, there's a, there, there is a lot, uh, there are a lot of problems here and I'm not a big subscriber to conspiracy theories. We can talk about uh, all of my favorites, such as chemtrails, et cetera, et cetera, all of which drive me nuts. Um, but when you look at the result of the VAX mandate and the absurdity of the arguments put forward and the tenacity of hanging on to it as long as possible from people who very clearly hate conservatives, 
There is no other interpretation. I think Tucker got it right early on. This was a thinly veiled effort to drive conservatives from the military. It, it feels that way, right? And and again, we don't want to jump off on conspiracy theories, but when we look right. at the trajectory of the Department of Defense over the last few years, it began in the Obama administration and and has continued because really it's the, the the leaders in the military that grew up during the eight years of Obama that are in these senior leadership positions now. Um, and so it's hard not to believe that's the case. And when you see the animosity that continues to exist for those that are still in who took any kind of a stand against this, it's there. And it's not just on the vaccine mandate. It's anyone who stands up and asks questions about diversity uh, training, anyone who stands up and asks questions about the withdrawal from the Afghanistan, you see the same thing. So I agree with you. It just, it feels all too perfect. And it feels like this mandate was a way to attack anyone who was going to think for themselves, who was going to ask questions about the law, who was going to take a stand for religious freedom. Hey, Davis. So how, how does, how, yeah, sorry. How does this affect like um, their career paths, right? We, we, we knew that there were Navy SEALs, there were special forces. Um, these guys are now undeployable. They, they couldn't train. They couldn't do things that they were normally supposed to do because they were just put on hold. So how does that affect them going forward? Are, are you seeing more people get out now because they just can't be deployed? So you see sort of two categories of people. You've had, you have people whose careers are absolutely destroyed by this because they were put on pause for almost two years. You have others mm -hmm. that are really so disgusted by the lack of leadership and the lack of courage and the treatment, if not of them, the treatment of others, that they're done. They mm -hmm. don't want to be a part of this anymore. They've lost faith in, in why they're willing to sacrifice their lives for this. But but the reality is when we look at this 18 months to two years of, of treatment for folks, for Navy SEALs, they're sidelined. They haven't been training. They haven't been allowed to do any of the things that it takes to get ready to deploy. And so that's been a big issue. We've had many pilots have been in that position. They were grounded for almost 12 months, many of my clients. You have others that were in leadership positions that were fired as senior commanders. We're talking 05s, 06s, fired from leadership positions, removed from command, for cause and their careers ruined. Um, and that really goes for anyone with any rank or experience. You're essentially not advancing for two years, which is deadly to your career in the military. Hmm. I also understand that it has a, it has a very serious negative effect and still is having a negative effect on people after they have gotten out regarding their, their contractual benefits, things that the military contracted with them and promised them as part of their remuneration for their services to their country. Is that true? Right. Absolutely. So we have, at a minimum, we have 12,000 veterans, people who volunteer to serve their country, willing to risk their lives to serve the country. The vast majority of them got out with a general discharge. So their DD-214, that piece of paper that matters so much, that's your certificate of military service, right? It says general discharge, not honorable. And it has a, it has a code, it has a narrative reason for separation. And for those that got out over the vax, whether they submitted a religious accommodation or not, it says discharge reason, the narrative reason for that separation, misconduct, commission of a serious offense. So think about whether it's McDonald's or Wendy's, whether it's a college or whether it's another employer. What do they ask? Have you ever served in the military? Were you discharged honorably? And then they want to see a copy of your DD-214. So you're going to be handing for the rest of your life, you're going to be handing an employer a copy of your DD-214 that has a general discharge and says you were kicked out of the military for serious misconduct. So, that, I mean, that's devastating. And, and again, if you got a general discharge, if you didn't get an honorable discharge, you lose your GI benefits. So not only are you not going to be able to go to school and use the GI bill benefits that you earned, that you were promised, now you have a, a DD-214 that's going to negatively impact you for the rest of your life. You know, I'm not necessarily asking you to comment on that or anything you want to say. I'm more than welcome. I've had the opportunity to speak with multiple individuals who are facing this, some of whom are still active duty, and who uh, are being told by the superiors that, well, you can't go and use your GI Bill. You can't start now. You can't continue with your education. Um, and some of it, um, they're unwilling to be given uh, reasonable leave. Um, they're, un be they're being told you being told things that are clearly uh, punitive. Uh, the goal is to punish people for no good reason other than I don't like you. 
Um, and so obviously my information is anecdotal because I have not surveyed even hundreds, but the um, close to a dozen that I have spoken with, uh, it's a repeated theme. It's happening again and again and again. Uh, and that's just, it, it's an, it is just, again, appalling. It's appalling that we would have a military command structure um, that would be uh, focused on doing that much harm to service men and women and to the service itself. It's disgusting. Well, and, and it starts, we, we can look back to what was happening before there was even a mandate, right? So the, so the vaccines come out before the Department of Defense mandated the vaccines. We could look and see pockets of mistreatment. Some of it was anecdotal, but then it started being across the board and it became a matter of policy, particularly in the Navy. The Navy had a policy at one point during COVID before the mandate came out that if you were unvaccinated, you couldn't go to church because there might be more than 25 people gathered together. Couldn't go to church. I have a friend that was a Navy JAG that resigned, walked away at 18 years because of that. He was done. He wasn't going to be a part of the system anymore. Didn't even try to get to retirement because of that rule. You had a, you have rules in place that whether it was the vaccine before it was mandated or whether it was boosters, if you deployed with the Navy, you couldn't leave the ship. You'd be on a deployment for eight months and you couldn't leave. You couldn't go into a port. And, and so that treatment began before there was a mandate, continued through the mandate, and now it's continuing after the fact. So we still have individuals who, commanders and sometimes the command structure as a whole is making it very, very difficult if you're not boosted, if you're not willing to get the, the vaccine mandate, they are making it all but impossible for you to do your job. And we're not talking about just junior enlisted sailors. We're talking about highly trained Navy SEALs with multiple deployments. We're talking about Navy fighter pilots. And so again, we're seeing the same kind of policy continue and that has a long-term negative impact on morale. It has to. And it's not just the people that are being treated that way. It's everyone else that's seeing it, that sees the inconsistency and really sees the lack of integrity in commanders. And that's a huge problem. Hey, and Davis, these weren't, these weren't military members that were just anti-vaxxers, right? We're not talking about people that are, I'm anti-vax, I'm not going to ever take this. They just wanted to know, hey, let me do my own research. Let me, let me see what this stuff's about. Um, can you exp can you talk about any of the the people that maybe were forced out that were just literally asking for time, just time to research what what they were about to put into their bodies? Yeah, absolutely. The vast majority of people fell into two categories. There were those who submitted uh, a religious accommodation, so they did the research. They saw that there was a tie to aborted fetal cell tissue. They had concerns, mm -hmm. other religious concerns about just bodily integrity being made in the image of Christ. So they had legitimate, good faith reasons to object to this on religious grounds. In the past, for every other vaccine, the Department of Defense has recognized religious accommodations. Uh, there's a senior chaplain in the Air Force. He had just resigned from his position. But up until COVID, he had a, a religious accommodation for every single vaccine. And he deployed multiple times. So there was this history of granting these accommodations for COVID, they changed the policy. So that's one category. There was another category of folks that looked at this and said, under federal law, the military cannot mandate an experimental use or emergency use product on the military. It's a violation of federal law. It's clear as day. It was passed by Congress in 1998. Um, and those folks were willing, many were willing, and I represented some of them, and we won some of those cases where they were, they were getting kicked out because they weren't even going to submit a religious accommodation because it's an unlawful order. There's, there wasn't an FDA-approved vaccine available that the military was making available for them. Uh, sadly, I guess there's a final category which deals with medical exemptions. That's an untalked-about piece of this. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. don't understand how difficult it was for people who had legitimate um, medical reasons not to get this vaccine. I had a client, I represented Air Force. His brother and sister both had adverse reactions to the vaccine. His brother ended up in the hospital. His sister went to a local CVS or Walgreens, collapsed in the parking lot after the first dose. My client had, had allergic reactions to two different categories of antibiotics. The CDC and the FDA said, do not get this vaccine if you've had that. He presented that to the, to the Air Force. He presented what happened to his brother and his sister to the Air Force. And he was told by an 06 Air Force doctor, um, well, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't get this vaccine, but the official policy is you don't fall into one of the exemptions or reasons we would grant this. 
So what you should do is you should check into a hospital, get admitted to a hospital before you get it. That way, if you have an adverse reaction, they should be able to treat you immediately. I mean, just, just wow. appalling. And so you have that piece. And again, you know, this, these are all individuals I've represented. You have military doctors who wrote approvals for medical exemptions who, if they did it again, their licenses were threatened. You have military doctors that are fighting to keep their medical license now because they wrote exemptions for things. And again, this is the first vaccine we've seen in DOD where the DOD would not recognize natural immunity. And again, you can see all the studies that are out there now that show how effective natural immunity is. So I, I don't mean to mm -hmm. rant on that, but all of these are pieces of it. And at the end of the day, this impacks military readiness because it undermines morale. It That's undermines right. good order and discipline. It just causes this huge yep. lack of faith and trust in the system and in commanders to stand up to political leaders, to do the right thing and simply follow the law. Mm -hmm. You know, a big part of leadership in any sphere, whether it's politics or family or the military, is in being able to balance the value and downsides of multiple factors. This is something that we do as dads for our kids. It's something that we do in our businesses. It's something that we hopefully participate in doing in our communities, in our government. And it's something that we expect military top brass to do at a very high level. We can talk about men and women who served in the military. Um, Davis, you and I were discussing uh, General Twining just uh, earlier. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can talk about good decisions, bad decisions. Um, but we can look at the past and see that this is this is a core part of what we do, not only as military leaders, but as leaders in any sphere. And we, especially, it's been highlighted since 2020, we have leaders in medical sphere, in the medical world, we have leaders politically, and we have leaders in the military who have one goal in mind. And it may be a good goal, it may be a nefarious goal. But even when that goal is laudable, when it is pursued without regard for possible downsides and pursued without regard for what we are not able to do because we are only doing this, we end up with terrible results terrible outcomes. It's true about gun control. It's true about COVID. It's true about military readiness. It's true about any decision, any decision. Once you only have one idea. Yeah. We call that extremism. Mm -hmm. That's what you call that. And it's, it's appalling that now we have a group of people across multiple areas of life. You could argue almost every area of life. You can see it in the church. You can see it in the state. You can see it in dealing with your families that, uh, that say it's actually laudable to have this single goal, whether it's you know two weeks to stop to, sl to slow the curve or uh, get the get the man get the vaccine because that's what's necessary, or ban guns, or uh, you know end gasoline production and gasoline use in ten years. You name it, there is a common thread, and it is it is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's one of the things I talked to a lot of my clients about when it came to COVID is I said, listen, you have to understand everything that's being done by your chain of command as one goal. And one goal is 100% of the military will have a needle in their arm. 100%. That's the only goal. There is no other purpose. There is no other mission. It doesn't matter why. That That's it. And as long as you understand that, then you can explain everything else that, that's happened and in the military, you can see that because that's how commanders are graded so often is about, is about numbers like that, little odd measurable things. And you know, in, in business and anything else, whatever you measure is what gets done, right? And so this is a measurable yep. and, and commanders are getting graded whether or not they can reach 100%. We saw that in Maine. I have a Maine National Guard client who was given, he was told he was getting the flu vaccine and was given the COVID vaccine. Oh, and man. and he was told he was the only one. There were five others, but Maine had been bragging they were going to be the first to be at 100. percent And and then that happened. So again, whether it's nefarious or not, you're absolutely right. The goal was we're going to get to 100 percent, no matter what it takes. Doesn't matter what the law is. Doesn't matter what Congress says. Doesn't Constitution set that aside? Religious freedom set that aside. We're going to get to 100 percent. The question becomes, why don't we learn from history? Why is it that we can't figure this out? Um, there, are, there, there are controversial figures. Some people love Robert McNamara. Some people hate him. 
Um, and he was an interesting character and obviously brilliant, ran the Ford Motor Company, and was brought in as United States Secretary of Defense by John F. Kennedy, served in that position uh, into Lyndon Baines Johnson's um, uh, tenure in the White House. And he is largely responsible for what we would now consider to be horrible failures in Vietnam because of the metrics that were set we contracted with the Rand Corporation to figure out these different metrics and decided that it's all about body count, right? And that as long as we're killing more of the enemy than they are killing of us, we will win. How well did that work in Vietnam? And yet here we are doing it again. And we're reminded of it. You know, we can watch uh, the, the images and the sounds that shaped our father's generation. Um, you can look at it again and go, okay, what were the metrics in Afghanistan? And how did it end there? And now what are we doing as a military with, with COVID? It's like having our own private Vietnam. Thank you very much. It's really unfortunate. And the part of it I see is that we have, we have lost a found touch with a foundation, right? And so it's part of what you're talking about when we get so focused on one thing, we get so focused on a specific goal that we lose everything else. But that's part of what we're dealing with in the military. There was a study, it was actually done by a professor at the Army War College here in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I met him and had dinner with him. It was around 2015. He did a study and he said, hey, at that time, the military was one of the highest, most trusted organizations, right? Most trusted entity yes. in our society. But he did a study that showed that, look, if you if you analyze what military commanders are signing off on, on their checklists and their metrics, they're all lying because in the army, there were not enough day hours in the day, days in the year to do all of the required training that every single commander was checking off on the checklist that their soldiers were doing. Oof. It was physically impossible to do. And his whole point was that's a huge integrity issue because there's only one right answer. And so that's, that's the military that we were developing and that was moving into this COVID environment, there was no place for saying, no, we can't do it that way, or no, that's not true, or I'm not going to sign off on a checklist because that, that incentive was built in. And the scary thing for me is our military has been successful in the past because we had leaders that we empowered to be somewhat free thinking. We have a history right. of having the best non-commissioned officers in our military throughout the history of militaries because we empowered them to be critical thinking and to be free thinkers and we wouldn't punish them for initiative. It feels like we've lost that somewhere along the way and that's very, very dangerous. It is legendary, absolutely legendary when we look at why did we go from, how did we go from so far behind in World War II on both fronts to dominating on both fronts and one of the major factors credited again and again and again, everyone agrees it's that initiative. Now, it's not the only factor, but it was a major factor. Um, the left loves to, and I keep, this, I keep getting Vietnam-era flashbacks. Um, I was born in 1979, which means I did not experience any of it, but it hugely shaped my world because of my father's experience and the experience of many of the men that I grew up around and was impacted by. And it keeps, I keep coming back to it. How often do you see the left talking about the level of dishonesty and the, exactly that kind of falsifying reports um, and being unfree, being restricted in their ability to be creative within the rules of engagement? We're not even talking about having to fight an unconventional war. We're, but we're talking about levels of dishonesty and institutionalized lying um, that that was rampant during that period. We have major news uh, um, personalities who shaped, who built their entire careers as young, fresh-faced, um, uh, you know, young journalists who they built their careers reporting on these things from Vietnam. And now at, in the end, at the end of their careers, what are they doing? They are furthering this kind of lying when it comes to the COVID numbers. They're doing exactly the thing that they uh, complained about so bitterly uh, at the beginning of their careers. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and it makes you wonder, you know, what's next for our military. And I think that's what we have to be very, very careful of. We've seen the, the, the issues with recruiting, Retention is is scary. The numbers of retention across the board, when you really look at actual numbers, are, are scary. And there is that lot, la, that lack of faith, that loss of confidence. 
you know, to, to me, it goes back to what's, what does it mean? Are we studying the constitution anymore? Are we taking our oath seriously? Are we talking about structure of government and what that means? Because a lot of COVID comes down to the executive branch of our government, ignoring Congress, ignoring clear statutory guidance, and just simply saying, we're going to get to hundred percent no matter what. So to me, those are the things that keep me up at night because why as an officer, did I spend 20 years serving? Why did I swear an oath to support and defend the constitution? If the, the lawyers for the Department of Defense and the DOJ are going to go into court and say, we don't have to abide by the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. That doesn't apply to us. It only matters if we get sued. That's the only time it matters. That was, that's a direct quote from a, wow. an appeals, a circuit court appeals argument by one of the DOJ's attorneys. And you hear things like that. And, and it's, it's just stunning. Davis, thank you so much for taking time and thank you for your work. It is so exciting to talk with you anytime I get a chance to hear about uh, what you are doing and how you are facing down the Leviathan. We appreciate you very much. Thanks, thanks Davis. Thanks for talking about this and, and pointing out these issues. It's really important. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it comes down to public morals. You can look at it again and again and again. It comes down to public morals. Um, there is only one way that all of this works. And if we are unwilling to recognize that there is an immutable moral standard and then it matters, things fall apart. Falls apart in government, falls apart in private, and it falls apart in the military. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.